Welcome to The Art of Being a Mum, the podcast that's a platform for mothers who are artists and creatives to share the joys and issues they've encountered while continuing to make art. Regular themes we explore include the day-to-day juggle, how mothers' work is influenced by their children, mum guilt, how mums give themselves time to create within the role of mothering, and the value that mothers and others place on their artistic selves. My name's Alison Newman. I'm a singer, songwriter, and a mum of two boys from regional South Australia. You can find links to my guests and topics we discuss in the show notes, together with music played, how to get in touch, and a link to join our lively and supportive community on Instagram. The Art of Being a Mum acknowledges the Boandic people as the traditional owners of the land which this podcast is recorded on. Welcome to episode 50. It's really exciting to be still hanging around after all this time and thank you for sticking with me. My guest this week is Mercedes Rogers. Mercedes is a clay maker and a potter from Fort Walton Beach in Florida, United States and Mercedes is a mum to three boys. Mercedes studied a degree in art history and thought she would go into photography but she was always drawn to clay. She was fascinated and influenced by a neighbour who was making tiles for her kitchen out of clay from the earth. When she finished her degree, she moved up to New York with her husband. She worked in an art centre that had an amazing pottery studio where she was really able to delve deep. She learned the craft in the traditional way, learning from others in an apprenticeship kind of way. In addition to her pottery, Mercedes also enjoys painting, photography, knitting, dyeing fibres and has taught pottery for many years in addition to owning a gallery. She feels deeply connected to the earth, turning to traditional methods to make charcoal from grapevines and ink from acorns, amongst other things, and her kiln is powered by solar energy. She loves to try new things and be playful within her work. She loves how pottery has forced her to slow down and be patient. You can't rush the kiln or disaster ensues. Please be aware this episode contains discussions around stillbirth and loss, PTSD, anxiety attacks and grief. Today we chat about how art and journaling helped Mercedes through the loss of her first son Conrad, appreciating the connection between the artist and the art they create through practical, functional objects, and we give good old-fashioned mum guilt a bit of a mention. Music you'll hear today is from Alemjo, an Australian New Age ambient music trio featuring myself, my sister Emma and her husband John. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Mercedes. It's such a pleasure to have you today. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Mm, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about where you are in uh, America. I live in northwest Florida, so the very northern western corner of Florida. Some people we jokingly call it LA, lower Alabama. So it's, <laughs> it's um, the south. It's about as most southern as Florida can get, not like um like culturally is what I'm trying to say but it's really beautiful we I live oh um like five minutes from the beach it's just like crystal white sands you know the granite that's come down from the Appalachians and um crystal clear water and beautiful river so it's really it's kind of like there's um a place about an hour and a half down the coast from here that's called the Forgotten Coast so I think when people think of Florida they have a very like Miami 
Tampa way over built up kind of vibe. And um, yeah, here, I think maybe because we're so close to Alabama, I don't know. (laughs) It's just, it's pretty like, you know, Southern. Okay. I'm sorry. What are you doing in here? Okay. Well, can you please go take it up with him? Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. I scheduled this and I was like, this is great. We just lock it. It's fine. It's not a problem. Um, It's all right. And this I've... is like so much, this is so much mom life, right? Where you're like, yes, our normal routine is blah, blah, blah. This should fit in perfectly. And today he napped until like five o'clock in the afternoon. So of course now he's just like up rampaging my husband, you know, I mean, this is yeah. so, but my husband, he uh, works remotely. So yeah. he just came in and like locked the door. So hopefully we should be good. Uh, that's so good. But yeah, Northwest Florida, it's, it's an yeah. okay place. I love the, I love the environment here. Sometimes the politics and the Southern culture mm-hmm. is a little much. And I miss the arts. I mean, there's not the biggest art scenes here, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. I noticed on your um, Instagram stories that you, you like to do a bit of camping and you're not very far from like the woodlands and sort of really... They, they, it almost looks like you're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty primitive. We, um, there's a very large Air Force base here that um, has, they call it the Eglin Reservation. So it's like, I don't know, thousands and thousands of square miles of um, land that they don't do anything with. And it's been great on the beaches too. They have huge swaths of uh, completely undeveloped beaches because of the Air Force. So we can just go out there. Yeah, it's like, 15 minute drive from our house and from you know the relatively small city that we live in to just be in a primitive camping area and it is it's wonderful I, I love it and being a potter and my work is so grounded in dirt like I just I'm a very much I like being outside being that connection to nature really helps to fuel the the work that I do oh absolutely yeah what's the weather like there at the moment <laughs> oh it's so nice it's been like in the high 60s low 70s that's about 20 degrees Celsius. So just beautiful weather. Oh, yeah. I always like Good to for ask. gardening and walks. <laughs> yeah. I always like to ask my guests about weather. I have this thing about, you know, other places in the world and what it's like and what their weather's like. I don't know. I think that the environment really affects the way that we work too. That's what I found. I lived in upstate New York for a while and I didn't believe it as much then, but the transition from moving back down here I really noticed the change in my work from the environment and just those influences yeah right like like in upstate New York it gets very cold freezes intense amounts of snow I mean and the darkness is so much darker for longer and all the leaves fall off the trees and here we never even have a real winter right so here you know it's never really that cold and and so the, what I see every day is just, it's very different because of the weather and the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just noticed I went from carving, um, like doing a scraffito work of, you know, barren trees on vessels to um, much more like fanciful mermaids and yeah. sea creatures and things like that. Like yeah. it, was, it was a big shift. It was slow, yeah. but it was, it was big. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now that's awesome.
So you mentioned there that you, you're a potter. Can you tell us about what you do, how you got into it, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Oh, I feel like it just goes all the way back to the beginning. Um, yeah, so I'm predominantly a functional potter. I mean, that's the way that I have made a living at this. Mm-hmm. But I love, I love like the line in ceramics, that line between functional and fine art. So I feel like that's something I'm always kind of playing with, like putting little sculptures on my mugs or drawing or screen printing or um, making little sculptures that have some functional aspect to them. That like maybe it's a, a sculpture of a mermaid, but then she's like a ju- secretly a jewelry box or something like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so um, so the pottery, it's interesting. I got my degree was in art history. So I wasn't sure, you know, when I was going to school, I wasn't 100% sure, like, what medium. I really thought I was going to go into study. I studied quite a bit of photography. But um, I was, I've always been drawn to clay since I was young. I was always one of those kids, like, in the backyard digging up clay. When I was an adolescent, I lived near this woman who had was digging clay out of a stream bed, made herself a wood fire kiln, and then was making these tiles and tiling her kitchen. It was amazing. And I just remember being like, as a child, just in awe that you could take this dirt and make something so permanent. So I think that really stuck with me. And so then um, while I was in college, I worked in an art center that had a pottery studio. And then when I got out of, when I finished my degree, my husband um, moved up to New York to do his um, PhD studies and um, there was an amazing art center there. And he, you know, he was like, oh, you should go, you know, check it out and see. And I started, they had an amazing pottery studio there. And then that's when I really like just delved in deep. So it wasn't something that I studied in university, but it was one of those things that I, I learned it more like in the old way of crafts, like through apprenticeships and just like self-driven study. Yeah, so again, going back to the old ways of, you know, the traditional ways of doing things and which sort of ties into, I guess, what you're saying before, like you're drawn to the earth and making things. It's like the traditional um, pathways, I suppose, sort of ties in. Yeah, and and I think, I mean, this is also that line between fine art and craft, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because fine art has this elevation in the history of art of like, you know, it's what's in the galleries and it's what's worth all the money. But the craftsmanship that's like underneath that is the key. But you have to have the craft before you can have the fine art, Mm. you know? I'm just interested to ask you, going down your art history route, I spoke to an art historian historian from Adelaide on this program in um, season one, Dr. Melanie Cooper, and she said just what you've, you've just piqued my interest, and I could be off the track here, but... She said a similar thing about how fine art, you know, is the thing in, in the museums and whatever. And then craft got like a really bad rap, like the, the women can do the craft, the arts and crafts sort of thing. Is that, is that sort of where you're coming from as well? Yeah, I think that, I think that, yes, when I was studying art history in school, I definitely, that was one of the big things that I picked up on. And kind of just like the, like if you, if you look through art history, it is p- predominantly men in all of the art forms that that are the majority of the people that are in the museums that are in the galleries right and then the crafts not in all cultures but in a lot of them it is like the women and the those once it's a utilitarian somehow it loses its 
worth. And then I just mm. personally thought that in, in worth for society, it's almost the other way around, right? Like we need well-designed objects that we use every day. Like, like I always think it of like my work is like, just like simple beauty for every day, right? Like I'm a big coffee and tea drinker, right? So that like handmade mug full of coffee or tea in the morning is just like, mm. there's, there's something like so whole about that functional mm. experience for me. That's also beautiful and a work of art. Mm. Absolutely. Yes. I love that. It's like, you can celebrate this experience and take this moment to appreciate everything that's gone into, you know, the thing you're holding in your hand and the vessel that you're experiencing your drink from, it's like, there's this massive connection with, you know, where it's come from and how it got made and what's yeah. the story behind the person that made it. And, you know, it's just this huge cultural connection. I yeah. Guess. And I think maybe our culture has got so far away from that. I think that that's mm. also one of like my earlier memories of like seeing between commercially produced products and handcrafted things. Uh, my, my grandmother, I love this story. My, my grandfather um, raised horses and um, one of my grandmother's friends, her husband was a potter. And so her friend liked riding horses and my grandmother loved pottery. So they got, the women got the husbands to trade. <laughs> and so my grandmother has all these beautiful pots by this potter. His name is Barry Jessen. Actually, when you were talking about the influences, mm -hmm. the people who influenced me, I think his work had such a profound influence on me as a child because I could remember, you know, being with my grandmother in her kitchen cleaning the plates and the bowls and putting them in, in, you know, um, in the dishwasher and being very careful with them because we knew the person, you know, you can feel mm. the finger marks and oh, like yeah, that yeah. somebody that we know created these objects versus like at home, you know, with like the plastic plates or the, you know, slip cast mass produced things. Like there was just a very different feeling in the weight, in the, the whole act of how we use them. And I think that that just really, had just a huge impact on me, my life in general. You know, I, I love in my home as much as I can having things that are either like old or hand, you know, handcrafted. Like my, oh, a lot of our furniture was, is from my um, husband's ancestors were um, from Germany and they were all woodworkers. So oh, we have like this civil war, all this old, like handmade, you know, like a headboard that his grandfather cut down the tree. Oh. Yeah, right. It was a wedding yeah. gift, right? In the time when, like, in order to, like, ask the person to marry you, like, this is how you did it. And we're just, oh, wow. in, with Amazon, right, we're in, like, such a different world now. So I think that part of what I do as an artist is, like, remembering that and also trying to share that with people, too, mm. you know, continue sharing the craft and teaching people and yeah, absolutely. bringing it forward. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's so important, isn't it? Because we do, we just get caught up in this fast fast culture like we need things right now and everything if it doesn't you know if you break something you, you just throw it out and get a new one because it costs more to repair something that does to buy a new one like this whole um consumerism is just out of control isn't it it's, yeah yeah and to think like for a potter i mean it takes it's such a slow process i mean mm. it takes like weeks and weeks for one mug to go from like that ball of clay to something that you can drink out of you know it's very yeah. and if you try to rush it that's the best part if you try to rush it, it just explodes in the kiln. I mean, it's one of those things like you just, you can't, 
you can't force it to be fast because you, you physically like, cannot do it yet yeah, yeah, it's, it's like it's forcing you to be slow and take your time and be mm-hmm. patient mm-hmm. Have, have you ever struggled with that patience like are you naturally a patient person or is that really challenging for you oh no I mean that's I think <laughs> part of like maybe the universe like made me a potter no because I'm not patient and I come like from a long line of very impatient people like it's ridiculous <laughs> so that's what I and that's why I'm always like okay if I rush this it's gonna I mean yes it really has helped me you know mm-hmm. like I have to be slow or it's just not gonna work yeah that is so cool I love that it's like yeah the universe sent you this so you could just appreciate you know Mm -hmm. oh I love that um you said before about you could feel the finger marks in the 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 plates and the the cups there's a piece of pottery that my mum brought me back from a holiday once and it's it's a fruit bowl it's beautiful and it's hand painted and and I picked it up one day and realized I'd put my thumb in the same spot as there was a thumb mark. And I just had this like shiver, like, oh, like it was just this amazing moment of like, I'm touching where someone has physically made this and my hand is right where their hand was. It was just incredible. I'm getting shivers now thinking about it. it was just Yeah, just that connection, moment. that connection is energizing. Yeah, when, yes, I 100% agree. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I think that also that's part of, in a way like what has always drawn me to the arts when I think about it like uh thinking in about the people who influenced me I don't know if you know the sculptor Ruth Duckworth have have you heard of her she did a lot of she was a ceramicist Mm -hmm. and mostly in porcelain and made these like very abstract sculptures um and but like and so I always saw them in history books and they were so perfect like that just white shiny beautiful porcelain mm-hmm. and the first time I was in a um the Museum of Modern Craft I think in Manhattan and they had a uh, exhibit of her work and I saw I got to see some of the larger installation pieces and as I walked up and looked close there were all these little cracks and imperfections uh-huh. in the pieces and I my, I was just like, it was that same moment of connection of like, here's this person that I've idolized, but yeah. also it's just a human being who has the same problems in her kilns probably that I have in my kiln, right? Just like yeah. just that, that connection of human, the human struggle. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Like, yeah. It, it's interesting that, that we put, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but we, we put people up on a pedestal. It's like, we can't do that. That's unachievable. But then we realize that at the end of the day, they're still human beings. And it's like, we're all going through the same struggles. In yeah. different ways. I, I think that that's what's great about your podcast too, right? Is for us artists to realize like, you know, we create these things from our heart and our soul and we put that in the world to see. But what people see is that finished product, right? They don't see the hours and hours of labor and struggle that goes into it. And I think that, especially as moms, us all reminding each other of like how many days we don't get into the studio to do the work or how many interruptions that we get, but we still somehow, you know, collectively figure out how to get through it, you know? Yeah. No, that is so true. Talking about your connection to the earth, I had a look on your Instagram. You've played around with making ink from acorns and making charcoal from grapevines. Tell us about that. Mm -hmm. That sounds, it's really cool. 
Yeah. So I think when, you know, when people ask me, you know, um, what is your main medium or like, you know, what kind of artist are you? It's always hard for me because I do love to try to try new things. And so, oh, I've done a lot of work in like fiber work. I worked on the sheep farm for a while. And so I learned some about natural dyeing mm -hmm. there. And then that, so then recently I was getting interested in sewing and trying to not spend a bunch of money on materials. So I um, was like buying white sheets from the secondhand stores. And then I was trying to dye them with these organic materials. And then um, that just like spiraled, right? Like into the rabbit hole of all these. So then I started looking around where I lived to figure out like what pigments are naturally available. And the tannins in acorns, I mean, that are everywhere where I live are very easy to, you know, you just have to boil them down and boil them down. And then you're left with a really nice ink that, you know, if you leave it sitting in the sun over time, it fades, but like in a sketchbook or a journal, I mean, it really is color fast and it, mm -hmm. you know, dries really nicely. So that, that's wonderful. And then yes, the um, grapevine charcoal, that was just another, it was like a recipe I found in the book and it was so easy. Yeah. I just took a little Alfred's tin, cut the pieces of vine, put them in the tin and then put the tin in my fireplace. And then after like three hours, pulled it out and I had nice, nice pieces of charcoal. Mm. Yeah. I just love that. It's, again, it's just that patience waiting for things to happen and, you know, not rushing up and, and buying playful. something. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it just play, like just the playful nature of like what, I think that that's like what I, I get out of being an artist, right? It's just like, that continuous curiosity. And my husband, my husband's um, background is a chemical engineer. Yeah. So chemistry, like he's really deep into the chemistry. So it's very interesting for us, like together, like, he, you know, when I go on these, these missions to make acorn ink, you know, he's breaking it down on the molecular level and trying to figure out like, you know, the best way to get it to be the richest color. It's just really wonderful and uh -huh. an exciting way to look you know, at science and art together. Mm, that's it. Cause it, yeah, it's, it's, there's so much science. That's the thing my kids forget when I talk about let's do some science when we were homeschooling. It's like, let's do some cooking. It's like, that's not science. Like, yeah, it is. Cause if you get your recipe yeah. wrong, it doesn't work. So, you know, yeah. that, that is a really cool connection to have. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. And can I also talk about your marionette um, bender that you're on at the moment? Oh. <laughs> what of a better word? That describes my artistic, my benders. That's exactly. Um, so I think that came out of COVID yeah. and being in Northwest Florida where I don't know, I mean, I don't know what you see from the news about what life is like here, but I mean, people really just pretended like COVID wasn't a thing. Mm. It was really, it was really emotionally kind of difficult because I just felt so gaslit a lot of the time yeah. and so like for the first you know like the first shutdown things were pretty serious and you know my community and friends like took it pretty seriously but slowly as the COVID fatigue went on like people just got less and less I don't know what the word is like had less and less self-control or were just more and more tired of of the the different waves you know and so um Again, my husband being a scientist, like he's very much like, we're just going to follow the CDC guidelines. You know, this is how we're going to do it. Hmm. So that last Omicron wave, when pretty much everybody around me was just doing whatever, and my little family is back in our nuclear thing, I was like, well, I guess if I can't hang out with my friends, I will just make myself some friends. And so <laughs> that's how I started making marionettes. 
entertaining the kids, you know, but I think yeah. they're, they're less entertained by it than I am. Like, I'm really <laughs> having a lot of fun with it. And yeah. it has really, like, it's really, like, again, I think this is why I love the play in art, because then it's really, like, planted the seed for this very, this next step in these sculptural pieces that I'm making, that I think you probably saw those on Instagram, too, that it's, like, they're almost, like, oh, I, I'm imagining them as, like, altar pieces that you hang on the wall so it's like the human form and that um torso area and you can put like a candle or a stone or you know a leaf or something you know whatever thing you want to be in there your rings yeah. um and then yeah it will have like the marionette legs and I don't know I'm imagining like some wire pieces I have it I need to fire a kiln load full of stuff but we it's spring break here right now so I'm really just in kids zone so but yeah that's the marionette and I'm interested to see where it goes I'm really hoping um, that that is going to be my next, I haven't done any solo shows since the kids have been born. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm hoping when my two-year-old, he's going to start in, um, like a preschool next year. And so I'm really, well, this year in August, but what I'm really hoping is that I will, um, have a solid body of work. I'm imagining those sculptural pieces. I'm sure some kind of functional piece will come along in it and then some paintings kind of around that that subject. But yeah. we'll see. Right now it's just a dream. You know, I have to I have lots of big dreams and then we see what really manifests itself in the end. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um I've got to say I'm a bit I well marionette is one of those things that really freak me out. Like <gasps> I have like a I don't say I'm, it's not a phobia. I just look at them and I go, oh same with um you know those dolls that people have on their when they do ventriloquist dummies oh those yeah 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 freak me out a lot too so when I saw them I was like I feel a bit funny but I'm gonna watch this because you know this is Mercedes work <laughs> I'm gonna get into this but at the same time I could just feel my skin crawling just a little bit <laughs> well it is a little bit weird right because you're like making these sculptures and trying to like breathe life into these like an adamant object right so I think there is something like inherently kind of creepy mm -hmm. to them yeah. and they they have a particular look about them too like it's that that traditional I don't know what the word is I don't know what I don't know what to, to describe them as but they look they have this look about them <laughs> <laughs> it's just me don't mind me all right <laughs> I don't I think you're probably not the only one I'm sure some oh, other people are very but much I love like it. oh goodness but you know how you said about the like their their bellies being like open I sort of when I first saw it it reminded me like of a fireplace of like a I don't know that's just where my head went when I first saw them I was like oh that's cool anyway there you go <laughs> yeah I can see that well I definitely imagined having candles in some of them mm. So, oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I love, too, about, like, the, you know, like, making functional work or making less representative work is I love, like, the eye of the beholder, right? I love hearing, like, when I first, when I first started, my, my first real, like, selling artwork was at a farmer's market. I vended for, like, I think four years straight where I'd make my pottery and then I would take it to the farmer's market to sell it. And I always loved that interaction with people, like, hearing what they thought something that I made was where I would like, you know, like a little tray that I didn't access, like a ring holder or a, a salt dish, you know, and they're like, oh, my rings would look really beautiful on that. Or that would be a great, so, you know, like they mm -hmm. see it as something completely different that, that then sparks another idea for me of like, oh, it could be a, you know. Yeah, absolutely.
And I also want to mention that your kiln is solar powered, which is really cool. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That was a big dream that I really never thought would would happen. But um, there's been a pretty big push here in Florida. It's so weird. Again, like the politics. Mm. We only have Gulf Power, which is our power comes from coal, which of course is not good for the environment. Mm-hmm. And there has been a big push from these solar companies because Florida, there's so much sun. It's a great place to harvest solar. Yep. Um, but yeah, we went back and forth. So we got in it at a good time where it was like we could get a decent return for the solar that we produce that we don't use. And it is really exciting to know that I'm not burning coal when I fire my kilns, but I am, you know, harvesting the energy from the sun and, and mm-hmm. using that. Because a kiln, I mean, it's amazing. I fire those kilns to 2,300 degrees fahrenheit which i don't know what that is in celsius but it's like it's like volcanic temperatures in there that's about 1260 degrees celsius it's a lot of energy that it takes yeah that's insane isn't it you sort of think how hot would something have to be to actually just disintegrate something like because that's really hot and your stuff's not disintegrating like that's amazing isn't it (laughs) Well, it depends on what you put in there. I mean, definitely can disintegrate things, but that's like where the chemistry comes in, right? Because you have to have the right clay body, the fire, you know, that fires at that temperature, that matures at that temperature, because essentially what we're doing is we're creating a stone. It's called stoneware because mm-hmm. you're putting it through a process that on the molecular level, it becomes a stone. Stone. That's really fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. I think that that was the hook for me you know this idea that you take a material that's so malleable and soft and just very easily returns to the earth when you start out with it and at the end it's something that's so solid and permanent I mean if you think about the things that last through the millennium that we dig up from other Mm. cultures often it is shards of pottery yeah that's so true isn't it yep yeah that we're digging up plastic from from our Anyway, I'm digressing. briefly mentioned your children there tell us a little bit more about your family well my husband James um we have been together oh my gosh it's 20 years now along like our whole adult life and so we were together for 10 years and then we um started having kids and so we have three sons and Conrad he would be 10 years old this year if he was still with us and then Everett our middle one is six and then Arthur the one who came charging in here earlier is too and he is quite a little he is the sweetest little firecracker they're wonderful they really just have brought so much joy to my life yeah um there's a I was again on Instagram I'm a bit of a, I get a bit Instagram stalkerish when I'm gonna chat to people so apologize yeah, if sense. I keep saying that but um when you're you're painting some mugs and I'm guessing it's your two-year-old who's sitting next to you and he's having a go as well. And it's in fast motion and you can see, you know, he's painting on his um, 
little plate and then something falls down and something happens and then he paints underneath the plate and it's just such a sweet little thing to watch he's just so busy doing his painting you know it must be so nice to be able to involve them in what you're doing yeah I mean for me it's really the only way that I've been figure able to figure out how to continue working because Mm -hmm. um I do have some help my mom just lives around the corner and my husband's dad lives down the street so that's really nice um but I, I am, I am with them, you know, all the time. So, and I, I struggle, like, you know, I go through these phases where like, oh, I'm going to get up before them and work, but then somehow they like figure out that I'm awake and come in there, you know, and like, they're, yeah. they're just, I don't know. So yeah, so that's what I'm always trying to devise a way for them to like be part of, be part of the process and, you know, also learning along, mm. you know. Yeah, absolutely. When they see your work, I guess they're, they're well aware that you're making um, you're making things that are going to be used in homes and other people buy them. And it's sort of what I'm getting at is like, it's, it's great that they can see that you're contributing to the world, I suppose, outside of their own home. Does that make sense? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Oh yeah. They're very aware. And one of the main places that I sell my artwork is a place called Artisano here in Fort Walton that she sells all local art and our six-year-old he's actually started making beads and making necklaces and he has a little line of stuff that he's selling in her store too so yeah I mean we really do you know I really do try to you know show them yes the process and where the things are going and you know like with younger kids I don't know if you have this experience but they sometimes just don't want to part with anything my children they just want to keep everything so trying to talk to them about like you know, I'm making this to sell and it's going to go out into the world and we are not going to keep everything that we make, you know, and then seeing that process, I think is really, is really good for them. Mm, that's true, isn't it? I hadn't thought of it in that way. Yeah, that's, that's cool. It's just amazing to me too, how much I see them learning in the studio. For mm-hmm. example, Everett, um, who's six now, I think it was for his fourth birthday, which seems extremely young to me as someone who has taught pottery throughout the years. Um, I decided to make little sippy cups for all the kids who are coming to the birthday party to like give them as gifts. And he was, you know, in the studio with me while I'm making them. And then I made a bunch of extra ones, you know, just because in pottery things break or get broken. And then I just decided, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to just let him glaze these because these are his gifts to his friends. I took some videos of it. I was shocked at how he, there's a tool like this um, clamp tool that I use that you hold the pot with to dip it down into the glaze bucket mm-hmm. and how this four-year-old who had been in the studio with me for the last four years watching me could just wield that tool. He glazed all the cups. Yeah. He did not break a single cup. I mean, I had to like still wipe the bottoms down and stuff, but it just, it really hit me how much he had been learning and taking in that I didn't even realize he was learning, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. That's it. Like the first time he ever did it, he just knew how to do it because he'd watched you do it for so many years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is that yeah. is awesome. That is an awesome story. You're listening to The Art of Being a Mum with my mum, Alison Newman. I want to talk about Conrad a little bit. So you said he would have been 10 at the moment. Mm-hmm. Can you share with yeah, us a little bit about him and how he's affected your work and maybe continues to affect your work? Yes. So, well, Conrad, he was our first son and he died when I was 33 weeks pregnant. So that would be turned to stillbirth. So he, 
I mean, he was our everything. It was one of those things, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think a lot of people of our generation go through this where James and I had, like, spent the decade, like, trying to build our careers and, you know, how, get our life together and doing air quotes there. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, okay, like, it's time to have kids. And it was just, like, that really easy thing where it was, like, two months later, we were pregnant. I was, you know, like, this just picture of health birth. There was, like, no signs of any problems. We were just so excited to be bringing him in the world. Captain Awesome is actually what our, like, nickname for him was before we had a name. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, and I, at that time, I owned an art gallery and teaching studio. So everybody at the gallery and the studio, I mean, everybody was just so excited about this new life, you know, new life. Like, everybody's so excited about it. Um, and so I think then um, he was already, like, a big part of my creative process. I was doing these watercolor. It's when I really started painting in watercolor, and I did this whole kind of um, like creative series about a little boy and a bunny rabbit costume. No, it was a little boy and a bunny rabbit. And they just like went on these adventures and these watercolor paintings. And I don't know, I just, I kind of, maybe this sounds really weird, but I felt like he was like, you know, this little life in me, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to put it into words, but like kind of, we were co-creating these things. Yeah. And then, um, Yes, after he passed away, I mean, it just shattered my whole existence. There was just, it was so incredibly unexpected. Um, I just, I don't even know, like, it was one of those things where I didn't even really understand stillbirth was a thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, living in this Western culture, I just assumed, like, we were going to get pregnant, we were going to have this baby, we had, um, Oh my, like I said, everybody was so excited about the baby. I had three baby showers thrown for me or like celebrations of life type of things. You know, we had like, like I wasn't one to like need to set up a nursery or do any of that stuff, but we definitely were in that like nesting, preparing, so excited to be with this little person. And um, yeah, and then just one morning I woke up and actually at night before I went to bed I had like massive fetal movement I remember because my mother lived in California at the time and I was like trying to video my belly so I could like send it to her and be like oh the baby is going wild you know Mm. um and then the next morning when I woke up there wasn't much movement and James who is very, very like conscious of what's going on he's like in the mornings you know we would often like lay there and he would have his hands on my stomach and like feel the baby moving or whatever. And, um, he even commented, he was like, Oh, the baby's really still this morning. And I was like, yeah, um, it's probably just sleeping or something. He was real. Yeah. I think he even said he was like real wild last night. Um, and then as the day progressed, I still like, wasn't feeling any movement. And so, you know, I didn't want to like freak. It just didn't seem like it just didn't seem like, how could this, what do you think be happening, you know? And then, um, then by the afternoon, I just, I was actually watching one of my friend's kids, like they were at a soccer game and I, you know, was like babysitting them or whatever. And I was sitting there and I had like, you know, lay down and tried to do the kick counts. And, you know, then I was like, okay, I'll get up and I'll go watch the kids and I'll like drink a big glass of orange juice. And he'll definitely be moving around by then. And so I'm sitting like at the soccer field and I still didn't have any fetal movement. And it was so strange. It was like right about the time that I had decided that I was going to have to call the midwife and say like, I feel like something's wrong. I need to have this checked out. 
um, James called me and he said, I feel like something's wrong. Are you okay? And I just like broke down. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. This is like, feels really weird. I think I'm going to go um, up to the office and have them check things out. And I was, you know, because of that, like, just like blissful naivety, I think I was like, you don't have, it's Friday afternoon. Like, you don't have to worry about coming with me. I'll just go by myself. I'm sure everything's fine. You know, and he's like, no way. I'm definitely coming with you. Come home and pick me up and we'll go out there. And we drove over there. And, um, yeah, she did the sonogram and like, I don't know if legally she couldn't tell me or she just didn't want to or whatever it was, but she was like, Oh, this machine isn't very good. Let's just go to the hospital. And it's just like, I knew, I just knew, but like what, I don't know. I mean, it's just like, even now, like saying it, it's like such a, just a surreally shocking experience. It was the day before my birthday. Which even sounds like maybe selfish, but weird, right? And I just remember being like, this is so weird. I have to go to my birthday party tomorrow. Like, how is this, like, that, like, out-of-body, out-of-mind experience? So we got to the hospital, and um, they did a sonogram, and, you know, it's just so weirdly and impersonal where they're like, okay, that's, you know, showing me on the machine. It's like, there's where the baby's heartbeat's supposed to be, and there's no heartbeat, blah. And I was just like, I mean, then what do I do? I don't know. I just, like, I was like, ah. I just was like, I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> just like got up and went in the bathroom and just like laid on the floor and was just didn't know you know what he would do and then it was just an ordeal of like days where they um I mean this is why I'm so thankful for medical intervention right because in the past like you would just have to wait mm-hmm. and he was a four and a half pound baby like he was a fully four I mean he could have been born and lived if we would have known whatever happened like we still mm-hmm. don't really know for sure what happened to him mm-hmm. um so we had to go through all of that and um, induction and it took a couple days of like I they tried to induce me and then it didn't work so I had to go home and then I had to go back to the hospital and find like he was born and there's just so much like I think that like we're learning about this type of grief because our society has gone so far away from think I mean it's like it feels like so unnatural right for the children to die before the parents and things like that but so they were, they had, um, they have volunteers that will come and take photographs. So they had some aid. And at the time, I'm like, I don't want any of this. I remember one nurse coming into the room and being like, she said something, I can't remember verbatim, but something about, you know, what a beautifully handsome baby we had. And I just wanted to like scream in her face and be like, yeah, except for he's not breathing. He's there's no heart. Like how, yes, he, you know, he looks like baby doll, but he isn't alive, you know? And so they, I really fought it. They um, are pretty adamant, at least at this hospital, that the parents should, like, see the baby and hold the baby. I guess they have figured out has something to do with, you know, the way our brains process the trauma later. And I was really, I was really reluctant. Like, I just, well, I think I was in such deep shock, right? I was still very much in the, like, this isn't real. You know, if I don't, maybe if I don't see it, it won't be real. But they did. They they got me to hold him, and it was sweet. Um, my my the baby shower that the people from the art gallery threw for me. They had made me this beautiful quilt that everybody had like drawn pieces. Like they had drawn art on each square, and then somebody who um made quilts like sewed it all together. So we had like wrapped him up in that, and um, that was what he was cremated in, which I think kind of helped me feel a little bit better. Like he was like you know like wrapped in love and. Mm. Yeah, and then, and then after we came home, I mean, I was just incapacitated. I was absolutely unfunctional. I still don't really know how my gallery just didn't 
closed down. And to be real honest with you, I didn't literally, I mean, in retrospect, I realized like spent the next two years, like trying to burn it to the ground. Like, I don't know how anybody dealt with me. I mean, I was such a like post-traumatic stress fight or flight. Like, I just, I don't even, I don't even, I wonder still, I mean, I have really good friends, I guess. And that's why they're still my friends. But I was just like a, a ball of just like fear and anger and confusion. And I just, at, at one point I finally realized I was like, my life has become, I just want to get through the day so I can get back into my bed and like not deal with life. Like that, that was like, there was about a two year period and it deeply affected my art. But at the same time, it was art that brought me through it. It was journaling. I did so much journaling. I would go to this park which at the time I had dubbed my sadness park and I would just sit in the park and cry and drink coffee and journal and, and throw watercolor paint on things. And I mean, it's nothing that's profound or that I would ever want to really like show other people. But for me, it, that journaling process really like helped me kind of move through the process. And then I think the other thing that was so incredibly difficult for me is I have been teaching art as almost as long as I've been making art in some facet or another, like I really deeply care about that, like the transfer and passing down of the knowledge. And I had such a strong aversion to being around children. I've always, like, I have a very childlike behavior. I mean, you see with my marionette dolls, like I just, yeah. I love hanging out with children. I love their overall just presentness and wildness and, and creativity and lack of um, self-doubt. But then all of a sudden, I just, I, I just didn't, I mean, being around children was so incredibly painful for me. I just, I couldn't do it. It was a very, very strange, difficult feeling. Yeah. Um, and I think it's something like, it will never, like, it, he will always be present and he will always be a part of our family. And it's something that will, has changed who I am. And I, I will always be this different person of myself now because of it. But then we had, you know, eventually we had a happy, you know, turn of events and Everett was born. And then that really, I mean, that, I think him being born, as much as like no child can ever replace another child, he, his, him being born really was a lot of healing for me. And then I didn't even realize it, but then when Arthur was born so many years later, I think even more I was able to be present and really like come to a greater level of peace where it's not like I don't you know I don't know if you've ever suffered with PTSD but it is just I didn't even understand I before Connor died I never really experienced panic attacks or anxiety or anything like that and so it was just earth shattering for me all of a sudden to kind of have my mind just working against me all the time mm. well thank you for sharing that yeah, it's a heavy story. It's, but it's it's lot you know, life and death. Yeah, and I think like like we spoke about before we started recording, I think it's it is so valuable if people can share their stories for other people to be able to hear it and relate to it. And you know, maybe I think I just I don't think the more we talk about things, the more we normalize things like the PTSD, like the grief, you know, any sort of mental illness. Like you know, I talk to a lot of mums with. Um, postnatal depression I experienced that myself um, anxiety I think the more we just are able to talk about it the more it becomes a, a part of life that is normal like because it is a normal part of life but then there's this part of society that makes us go oh no 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 you can't talk about that 
we don't want to hear about that. Yeah, or you just had a new baby. You should be so happy. You should be, you should be having all of these experiences. Why are you not happy? What is wrong with you that you're not celebrating this, you know? Mm -hmm. And it just really, yeah, it's a horror. It really takes away from, like, what's really happening with us. And I think, I always think of it as, like, if I had my leg chopped off, people yeah. would treat me in a certain way, mm-hmm. right? Like, not like, like, like I would no longer be able-bodied and there are things going on that. And I think when people are going through extreme emotional duress and trauma, because it's not a visible thing. I mean, sometimes I wish that I had a shirt that would be like, <laughs> I am traumatized. You probably want to give me some space, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah, there's this but, thing about it, it being in your head you know is it real is it not real because people can't see it you know all that kind of questioning from from outsiders instead of just trusting that we like that 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 we're having a hard time and that it's hard Mm. and it's okay I think that's the other thing too like I find so much now in my conversation with people like around the holidays and different times you know when we're supposed to feel certain ways and I'm so much of a place is like I hope you're happy today and if you're not that's okay too you know these or even with the kids you know uh, my two-year-old right now is very much into like you hurt my feelings I'm angry at you you know and then it's like my my, I feel like my mom always wants the kids like not to ever be angry and not you know and I'm like we just need to balance in my opinion let their emotions be seen and validated okay I hear that you're angry with me do you want to talk to me about why you're angry or do you want some time to think you know like we're all gonna be angry we're gonna be sad we're gonna have these negative feelings sometimes but also we don't have to like that's what I feel like for myself like I was in such a horrible dark sad sad place but I didn't stay thank god I didn't stay there forever right Mm -hmm. like I I came and I think even if I hadn't had children eventually I would have come out of that place but grief takes time and people need to allow others to have that time and not be like when are you going to be better when are because I you know yeah well when are you going to be how you used to be well I'm never going to be how I used to be I'm yeah. new version new Absolutely. these are new experiences just let me you know if, if you think that I need to be that same person we probably aren't going to be friends anymore <laughs> because mm, that person's gone it. now you know yeah that's so true and and there is no time limit because people experience everything so differently um you know it's just there is no and see that I don't know I feel like the if you're not an I don't want to this is a big generalization now but if you if you're not an artist if you're a you know an academic who's an accountant or you know someone that thinks very rationally and straightforward about things you a PhD in chemical engineering my husband Yeah, like you, you yeah. have this expectation that when you do this, this, and this, you'll get this outcome, and everything has a method that's been done before, and you know what's going to happen. And it's like, no, all this stuff has its own way of happening in its own time, and there's no right or wrong. And I think that can be really hard for some people to to get their heads around because it's so different to the way that they're used to experiencing life. Yeah, they want it to be a formula, and yeah. it just grief isn't you know mm. yeah oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah I definitely don't wish that experience on anyone mm. and I I still I mean every day I wish that he was here and I wonder always you know what what would the other boys like like what would Everett's life be like as a middle child with an older sibling I have a nephew who is three months older than Conrad would be and so when I and we live close to them and so whenever I see them all together I just it's you know I'm always in the 
my peripheral kind of imagining him in those mm. moments, you know, and how, how much it would change the dynamic of our, of our life. With your six-year-old and your two-year-old, being a mother has changed the way you approach your work and or your outcomes, how you expect this. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Heading down that path. Oh, yeah. I mean, is that is that all moms in all career things? I can remember <laughs> I have a really good friend, too. She's a painter. And we got we, – we actually became friends. She had two um, – she had two baby girls that died in utero. And so that kind of, like – is like how like we became friends to the arts but then when we realized we had this shared experience it like you know it, it was someone to go through that hard time with that was having similar social reactions if that makes sense like mm, yeah. like when once we did both get pregnant again neither of us wanted any baby things like I did not want any baby things in my home until there was a baby in the home right and I remember my mother-in-law was like so distraught about this and and, but, and, but then I, I had Anna and she was like, no, she was having the same feeling. So I'm like, this mm. is not irrational, right? But I can remember yeah, we got yeah. pregnant with our boys who were born three days apart. And um, uh, we would go, we lived like down the road from each other. So we would go on these morning walks a lot. And we would spend all this time talking about how when we had our children, our living babies, it was not going to change the way that our art careers were going. And we were definitely going to make sure that we set aside time. And we had all these, you know, I always joke that like pregnant moms are the best moms because we're so delusional <laughs> about what the reality of being a parent is really going to be like, right? Yeah, and we yeah. were just so dreamy about what it is. And then going through the experience, she has three boys now living and, um, yeah, I mean, both of us, we talk, she lives in Japan right now, and we, we try to Skype, you know, for a while it was like every week, but we, you know, we try to talk pretty regular, and we kind of are each other's like support system of like, you'll get back in the studio again soon, you know, or we, we have a yeah. journal that we like send back and forth to each other to just kind of like keep it going, because yes, having kids, it takes so much time and energy, you know, so with the other two boys, and especially like over COVID, when I was like the only, you know, the main person I never imagined as a parent that I would be with my children 24 seven. I always imagined that I would have more external babysitters and family members and people that could be there with the kids too. Cause I just think it's important for their development yeah, to yeah. see how other people navigate the world, not just me and my husband. Mm. So yeah, it really, I mean, having the children, well, to be honest with you, I closed the gallery down after Everett was born he mm. was like four months old and I can just remember James I would have you know I would go into work and leave him James has always worked from home so like at home with the baby and then he'd be calling me at work and I could hear Everett like crying in the background he's like I can't get him to take this bottle I don't and I'm like I don't know what to tell you I don't bottle feed him I nurse him I don't know how to give him a bottle you know yeah. and I can just remember at one point sitting in the gallery and just being like the two people that I love the most in the world are at home suffering 
because I want to do this thing. And maybe I'm a creative person. Maybe I can just think of another way to do this that works better for my family. And so that's when I made the decision that I, we would get a different house and that I would move the studio into the house and be more focused on the parenting thing for right now. I mean, my, my first, you know, 12 or 13 years of being an artist were very driven, eating, sleeping, dreaming about art all the time. But I think after Conrad dying and not getting to experience his life more than those nine months that I was pregnant with him, I just wanted to, I do want to be with my kids all as much as I possibly can. And especially in these little years, I mean, it gets exhausting. I'm not trying to glorify it. You know, when you're trying to go to the bathroom and their fingers are under the door and you just like are so worn down and exhausted. I definitely have a lot of those moments too, but I just, they're not going to need me this. I already see it, right? Like yeah. the six-year-old, like he does not need me nearly as much. And there's going to be a time when they don't want to come climb in the bed with me and they don't want to snuggle me. And that's all going to change. And so I think that like, I have been willing to put a lot of my studio time on hold so that I can be with them. And that it's been a pretty conscious decision. I mean, my husband might kind of go back and forth about it. Like if I'm going to take on a big commission, like I do, um, some production work for um, uh, like historic Pensacola, like art gallery gift shops. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times those will be like a lot, a lot of pieces that all consistently have to be the same, like relatively same size and shape. And that is not something I'm really good at, like that type of precision. Yeah. And also working on any deadline with kids is really hard. So that's what we kind of like go like now before ever I take any larger commission, we kind of look at both of our schedules and say like, is this something that I can realistically do? And we, we definitely try to value time over money. Like we're in a comfortable position where like, you know, our, our, we have a decent house, we can get enough food. And so we would prefer to spend less, you know, more time, family time and have less money than be like rushing around and fighting the clock and, you know, making it more difficult for the kids because at the end like it just stresses us all out if we don't if we try to cram too many things in not enough time mm, absolutely and it, yeah it impacts everyone then doesn't it just the harmony yeah. of the home and how everyone's feeling about life I think that yeah. that's like as a as a parent and as an artist like that is one of the hardest things right because especially I feel like a big part of my happiness is tied into my creative time Right. So that's what sometimes those conversations with my husband too. I'm like, it's not always 100% about the money either. It's about like, I gain, like, this is where being an artist and like the financial aspect, like all that stuff gets so intermingled and weird, right? Because there is some like personal fulfillment that comes out of creating those things too. And like, how do you put a value on that? Mm. Oh yeah. That's a big one. I've found the last few people that I've spoken to um, for the podcast, this, this value has come up a lot this this concept of how society values places value on something and it's just so money driven it's all about the money it's like if you can't sell that and have a a dollar figure attached to it then it's less of value than you know oh it really frustrates me <laughs> yeah really see, I mean, this me. is a conversation and I think that maybe because I own the gallery and oh my gosh when I first opened the gallery it was quite ridiculous. Mm. I might not have had the best business plan ever. 
and we had like a 200 square foot revolving gallery that changed out every other month and then like a retail space that sold all like kind of local handmade goods and then a very large um art studio and like teaching studio mm -hmm. And I hadn't really done the math on how much money I needed the revolving gallery to make. I, I don't know why. I, I originally just thought about it kind of as this fun experimental art space, like coming out of New York and coming back down here. Like I really wanted that, right? But very quickly, I realized that like, we have to have something that we can sell. Like it's real cool for someone to like come in here and hang a bike from the ceiling and paint a mural on the wall and do like whatever the thing is that they're feeling at the time. But if we don't have something to sell, then, then how am I going to keep this space open? And like writing that line, right, between like commodification yeah. and just expressing ourselves and being. So that's where James and I have come to a place now where when I'm coming up with some, because I have done some wild projects. Like after the BP oil spill, I made this thing called the SOS Security Blanket, which was like a community art project around pollution and there's no way that's making any money. Like it totally was just like a heart project that I needed to do to process what had happened mm -hmm. to our, our land here, our, you know, our environment. Yeah. And so that's what, so that's something else that him and I look at together is like, how much time, like, do you think this is going to take? And like, is this something that you're doing because of your love or your need of expression? Or is it something that's going to make money? And it's nice to kind of have that partition, right? And it's a freedom to be able to say like, well, I'm going to do this project, even if nobody pays any attention to it, and I'm just doing it for me, I'm doing it, but I'm going to do these other things, you know, to sell in this gallery or to sell in this gift shop or to, you know, for this coffee shop or whatever I'm doing it for. And that's where the money is going to come from. Mm, so it's a, it's a good balance. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find in your previous conversations, like that people are saying like they want to do things and they, but they feel like they can't because because if you can't make money off of it, then it's not worth the time. Yeah, not so much they can't. It's the judgment that other people place on them for choosing to do that. Um, or, you know, a, an example that I, I give, um, I can't remember now. It's really bad. But one of the mums I spoke to back in season one, she had um, her mother-in-law, right, was babysitting um, her sister-in-law's child and would do that quite happily because the mum was going to work and act like a, a day job, right, in an office doing whatever. But she wouldn't babysit her children because mum was just fluffing about doing her art, right? So that judgment that comes, you know, that's not a serious job. That's, you know, that's not a real job. You're just fluffing about. It's like, is that how society really sees creatives? Like, how bad is that, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and I think it kind of even goes back to the early part of this conversation with like form or function, mm. right? Like how people view the the worth of what we do. But in the end of the day, like if it weren't for us creatives, what would we have? Who would design the cars? Who would design the computers? Mm -hmm. Who would make the television programs? And like the every exactly everything, everything that is the world that we live in. I don't exactly. know how has it come yeah. to this See, where the, we're not yeah. valued. The, the thing, and I. I've said this many times in this podcast, so apologies if you've heard this story before, but in Australia during COVID with the lockdowns, right, we had the movement between the states was quite limited. You weren't allowed to cross the borders. It was really quite full on. It was, you know, probably a bit much, to be honest. But football teams, or Australian rules football, right, they were allowed to cross borders and they were allowed to go and play football wherever they wanted. But everyone that was, ridiculous. you know, and it was, 
all the arts were shutting down. People couldn't go on tours with their, you know, bands, music, whatever. That was all shut down. But these these footballers could just go do whatever they liked. And it just really showed the stark division in our culture. And, and I've talked to other people around the world and similar things, you know, sport is way up here and the arts are down here. But it's like who's making all the shows that you're watching while you're in lockdown? Who's creating content? Who's like you said, physically designing cars and building houses and like everything you can touch and see and feel has been made by somebody creative. You know, I think society just, I don't know, it just makes me, I get on this bandwagon now, I'm getting really fired up about it, but I think it makes me so it's, mad. It's legitimate, right? And I mean, football is like fun or what, you know, like people enjoy it, it's good to be healthy, but what mm. what is that really contributing towards society? I don't know if that sounds like a shallow unappreciative thing but I personally am not really into sports like that's not something that I enjoy but I also don't see like what service are they you, you know what the you know world? what they were doing they were making money it was money you know all the yeah. the um adver- the advertising people that pay to have their sh- it on the shows you know all that sort of that commodity yeah. driven that's what it was and they had to keep that yeah. going at the expense of everything else Yeah, I mean, that's very much like the same COVID politics here. Mm. It really, for me, makes me think that we need to have some kind of um, universal income or that guaranteed income, right? Like if we Mm. had something that was like, you just had like a basic living wage, right? Where like everybody has enough to like be close. Because that's what I've noticed. Like there was a time when James and I, like we had no money. We were living so far below the poverty line. And it was such a struggle. And we're both very creative people who are driven and want to contribute to society. And we had all of these, all of these great ideas. Um, I'm trying to think of, uh, do you know the program FreshBooks? Oh, no, I don't. You know what I'm talking about? It, oh, it's like, it's like a, it's like a um, program to help you with your bookkeeping and stuff like that. So my husband, before that was a a program, when I was like starting my gallery, you know, he had the idea to make a program like that, but he had to like, you know, be so driven to make money to spend so much of his like mental bandwidth on how to make money to like get gas in our cars and these things that Mm -hmm. there was no space to do these things that could be really beneficial to society. And so that's what I keep thinking. Like people are like, oh, people are going to be lazy and just hang out and do drugs and blah, blah, blah. If they have guaranteed income. I'm like, look, there's already people that are lazy (laughs) and do drugs and are just hanging out. So why don't you give the rest of us, the majority of people I think want to to do something to entertain themselves. I mean, I don't think people Mm. would just sit around and be so lazy, right? And the people that are creatively driven would then be able to really manifest so much more of what they're capable of instead of just like running in that wheel of making yeah. money. Yeah. Um, in Ireland, I think, um, I saw something not long ago that they, they're going to have a, a living wage for artists. So they're going to get a certain amount of money. I don't know if it's per month or per, per week. And I was like, that is amazing because just imagine that the creativity is just going to explode. Yeah. Like, you know, people with no limitations yeah. – what are they going to yeah. make? It's going to be amazing, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, hopefully we'll move there. That was one of the things I was hoping out of COVID that yeah. people would see is like, hmm, it's interesting how we can all not go to work. And <laughs> I mean, the economy, it should, but what does the economy even mean? Like, it's really just like a made up, like it's a system that human beings have made up. 
Mm -hmm. Ooh, maybe we should try to make up a better system that works for everybody instead of like a minority of people. Mm, absolutely. And yeah. that's the thing, right? Um, getting off topic now, but my husband, okay. my husband's a financial planner. So we are incredibly different mindsets, right? Like so yeah. different. It's yeah, it sounds like James and I, yeah. Oh dear. And um, so during COVID, they, all of them had to work remotely. They're all at home, whatever. If they had a conference, they do it all online on Zoom, whatever. And then this week they've announced that they, they want them to go like interstate to go to this big conference. And I said, why? Like, just because you can now, why go back to normal? Like you, you not only like what it does to the environment, you know, the cost of plane, the plane travel, um, you know, but like, why? It's, we've shown that we can do it without it. What, yeah. why, why are we learning from this? You know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think that some people are, you know, it's just maybe a slow transition. I don't know. I think I'm forever an optimist too. Like I want to believe that we're going to, we've gotten something out of, mm. out of this difficult time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that. touched on earlier about your feeling when you're in the gallery and you had your, your husband on the phone trying to give the bottle and things weren't working and you had that moment where you went you know the two most important people in my life are, are there and I'm here that sort of I don't want to put words in your mouth but like that that guilt sort of creeping in um struggle yeah it was a yeah. big struggle mum mum guilt is a topic that I I ask all my guests about um can you share sort of your thoughts about, I put it in air quotes, mum guilt, because it's like a construct too, I think, of, of our, of I mean, our culture. I think, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it doesn't matter what your career is, right? Like as a woman, it's a strange thing, like the post-feminist woman, like we're no, we're, we're still expected to be these amazing moms, keep a good house, not look like a big mess. <laughs> Right. And like show up for everybody all the time. And I think it does create a huge amount of guilt where we're like, we are never enough. There are never enough hours in the day for us to do all of the things for all the people. And then I think the more than anything, we don't like, there's no value on recharging for ourselves. Right. Like it's almost like a, like this weird luxury, like, oh, you're gonna go have quiet time for yourself for an hour. And that's a priority for your life. What about your dishes? You know, and it does, it yeah. creates this like, very uncomfortable level of guilt and it's like well why don't you ask my husband about the dishes because he's a partnership you know like mm. I'm not, i mean he is great like i'm not dishing on him at all like he is an amazing 100 like we are partners we both do all the things but like from people looking in mm -hmm. right whatever that social guilt is that social structure guilt societal guilt of like it doesn't matter how much we do it is never ever enough mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that it, it caused me something. I there's definitely days that I like am in my pottery studio and I'm like, okay, I'm going to set a timer and the kids have like their 45 minutes of screen time that they can have and I'm going to do X amount of projects and then that timer goes off and I ignore it and the kids are happily in there with their screen time. Yeah. And I'm just like in the zone and so happy, but then I come out of the zone and I'm so guilt ridden. I'm like, oh, they watched an extra hour of TV and, you know, and just mm -hmm. really write myself. But then I'm like, oh my gosh, what's an extra hour of TV? To me, being refreshed 
and able to be more present with them. And I think that that's like how I'm trying to navigate the mom's guilt, but it is, it is real and it is hard. And it, it just, it makes doing everything difficult, right? Like I want to say being a creative difficult, but it's not just Mm. being the creative, right? It's just that like constant need to make sure that your kids are in the right schools, your kids are playing the right sports or doing the right extracurricular activity or mm. I don't even know. And I, I don't know what the, like you were saying before about like some people just want a formula, you know, or like a way like to know what to do. And sometimes I feel like that as a mom, I'm like, I wish you could just, and I guess they do, right? They say like the pediatric recommend, recommendation for hours of free time, right? I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but yes, yeah. I definitely struggle with it so much and sometimes I have a studio assistant that comes and helps me sometimes and she also has a small child and she came in the other day and Arthur was like in a diaper in my studio sitting in a chair with the iPad like propped on a stool in front of it and she was like oh my gosh it's so refreshing to see that this is how you get things done and I'm like yeah and I guess maybe I should put more of that like on social media I think that that's always the hard thing too that creates a lot of guilt within us right as we have these yeah very meticulously cure I mean I don't I would not say I meticulously curate my my social media but like it's not like I want it to be a snapshot of the reality of my life but I definitely have not taken pictures of my kid in my underwear with like boogers all over his face <laughs> watching his iPad like eating pirate booty you know I mean maybe, maybe I should do that maybe we should do that more I don't know I mean it's not beautiful it doesn't fit into that Instagram yeah, the aesthetic. vibe <laughs> the thing too I think so many times I know personally I've taken a photo of a similar sort of situation like I'm trying to record something so I've got the kids doing something whatever it is and I'll hesitate posting because I think the amount of people that are going to judge me for that that don't know my life that aren't in my home and I think for a second I think oh bugger them and then I think no because how I don't know I just can't wear it you know what I mean I I'm not ready for it, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, because that judgment is real and it doesn't Mm. feel like, I think that's it. Like the mom guilt is feeling like we're not adequate. Like we're something like the people that we love the most in the world, we're somehow damaging them or like not Mm. doing good enough for them, right? And so the idea that some stranger is going to, that anybody is going to say that to you is like, yeah, oh my gosh, that just heightens that inner voice that somehow I'm not doing this right. Absolutely. Or I'm not doing it well enough. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Maybe we need to have some kind of like social media space. That's like, like, what was that? Oh, I think there was like a Pinterest fails or something like one of those, you know, where like, like, like some like (laughs) Instagram parenting disaster thing where like, we all just like put the reality, you know, like here's my kids like covered in whatever doing something (laughs) crazy. We could just be honest and without fear. <laughs> yeah, without the fear yeah. of judgment, judge-free zone. Yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah, I don't know. Frust- yeah, another thing that frustrates me, and then I frustrate myself because I think, why am I letting other people that I don't know? You know, I do know a lot of people that I follow, but uh, will follow me. But a lot of people I don't know. Why am I letting that worry me? Why don't I just like yeah. the, way, the way I approach my music? Is like I'll make my music for me, right? I don't make it for anyone else. There's people who are gonna love it. There's people who aren't gonna love it, but that doesn't affect the way that I make my music. I just do it because I want to. So why don't I look at the rest of my life like that? You know, it's like maybe because it's so 
I don't know, because it affects, like you said, it's, you're talking about the people that you love the most and you're trying to do the best for them. So if someone then brings to your attention that perhaps maybe you shouldn't be doing this, you're like, oh, no, I'm ruining my children, you know, because it affects somebody else, it's harder to do. Yeah, and I feel like the way you're describing creating is also my same process, right? Like it's this weird, like I'll get like this spark of an idea and then it's it's like I'm like I want to like, I want to see it manifested or maybe for you, like you want to hear it like in this three-dimensional world. And so it's like spending this time to like bring it forward from a very, from like a complete non-existence into the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know with the kids is like, they're already here and they're already like throwing tantrums sometimes. And why, like they definitely do things that, I mean, my children regularly do things that make me question, like, am I somehow doing this wrong? So then I think when someone, you know, when someone has the audacity to tell me that I'm doing it wrong because they saw some picture that I thought I was funny that I put on Instagram, it really, yeah, it it makes me question more. And I think, I mean, I don't know, I'm definitely no parenting expert, but I think no matter what happens, everybody experiences some kind of trauma in their life. So it doesn't matter like how good of a parent we try to be or how you know, wonderful. We try to make everything for our kids. Like they're, they're going to run into bullies or difficult times, you know? Mm. So I don't know. Yeah. Somehow we have got to let go of, I'm going to think about that more like that idea of like being the perfect parent and why, mm. or maybe the perfect isn't even my word, but what is it that causes that guilt? Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's something for us to think about. <laughs> yeah. To get to the root of it. Cause maybe if we could understand it, we could stop feeling it so much. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. That's good. We've had a bit of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There was a joke at one point in my pottery studio. They were like, oh, pottery with Mercedes. It's cheaper than therapy. And I was like, you guys, I'm going to have to raise my prices then because I don't know if I can handle being your therapist and your pottery teacher. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> a lot of pressure. Moving back to your uh, your art, your work, have you got anything mm-hmm. coming up in the future that you want to share about or anything that you've got work you're working on now that you want to give a bit of a plug? Tell us what you're up to. Uh, well, I don't, I mean, I have a lot of ideas in the works, but I don't have anything like for sure dates. Like I was saying earlier, I'm hoping that the fall of this year to have a show together, um, a full body of work around the marionettes. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm not 100% sure, but that, like, that is what's in what I'm, like, crafting in my mind for my next, like, big group work, um, and then I'm currently working on a series, um, that will just go into retail shops that is something that I tend to touch on almost every spring, which is kind of, like, botanical themed pieces, so I've been creating these, um, I'm calling them plates, but it's not, like, it's, like, a printer's plate, not, like, a plate that you would eat off of, so I'm Mm -hmm. pushing the flowers, into the clay and then I'm going to use those to like make the plates off of I've got a few of them I think I might have posted them on my Instagram but I'm going to do a whole spring collection 
around like that theory. So it'll all be like, you know, things that are in bloom right now on bowls and plates and probably some planters. So usually I try to do a spring collection and a fall collection. So that, and that main release will be like online through Artisana Boutique, but I don't have a date or anything like that mm-hmm. set yet. And then um, during COVID, I started folding the thousand paper cranes again. It's the second time that I've done it. And I'm about, I think I'm a little over 400 in. So I'm hoping, I'm still not sure how, what that is going to manifest into other than like, I did it, you know, I don't know if you know the, the story of the thousand paper cranes. No, I was actually going to ask you that. Yeah, so it's a it's a Japanese tradition. That I think it. I don't know where it really originated, but a lot of the stories that you hear revolve around that um, Hiroshima, like the bombing of Hiroshima, mm. and the the people trying to heal after that. So the idea is, the person that folds a thousand origami cranes, like it's like a meditation and a wish for something. And so people will do it for like people that are ill or people that are getting married, things like that. The the thousand cranes for them. So during COVID, I decided, I think it was like during the second wave or something like that, that I was going to fold it for like, you know, the end of COVID, like for healing for our world for COVID and also like for my COVID anxiety, because I think that crafting and just moving my hands really helps me just deal with that like anxious energy. So anytime I would feel really uh, overwhelmed about something to do with COVID, I would just like fold a crane, fold a crane. So I'm not sure, I may do some kind of installation with that after the fact. I haven't 100% decided where those cranes are going to end up, but so far. So that's another project that I'm currently Mm. in the works on. But nothing Mm. like solidified because that's one of my things as like with the being a parent and an artist, I tried not to give myself very many deadlines Mm. because that that (laughs) gets me stressed out and not a very good parent or artist. Yeah, that's it. It's hard hard yeah. to uh, hard to do anything with that sort of pressure over your head, and then you everything suffers because you're like you can't stop being a parent and you can't stop being an artist, but sometimes they can't nope. work at the same time. So, <laughs> nope, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Oh dear. Yep. I love that. This has been a nice talk. Oh, it's been awesome. I really enjoyed it. I've really, really enjoyed talking. I mean, I say it to everybody because I enjoy talking to everybody, but I've really, really enjoyed talking to you. It's been really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what a great job to get to talk to artists (laughs) about art. You know, I mean, that's what we love. It's so good. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing this. I mean, I think it's so good for the global mom community for all of us, you know, to really. It's It's lovely to like be in the studio and just listening to other artists like talk about how they do it and get ideas you know yeah that it's, a lot of people have said that actually it's really good to hear how the people are doing it and it's just reassuring to hear that we're all in the same boat like it's just we're all going through it yep <laughs> yep exactly yeah, yeah. Yeah. thanks for your company today if you've enjoyed this episode i'd love you to consider leaving us a review following or subscribing to the podcast or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum.